Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we have some good, good news to share with you, especially if you like to win things, especially if you like dogs. Um, we have good news to share. Even if you are going through a tough spot right now, and you're wondering, okay, where is God? Why am I suffering? How can I suffer well? We're going to share a couple of stories with you about people who are going through it, and they're using canine comfort emotional support dogs to actually share the gospel. We're also going to get into a conversation about a couple of Christian colleges, both of them somewhat historic, one that's going through a really tough time, but it's a count-it-all-joy moment, and also another one that's going through a, a, an opportunity just to uh, generate tremendous amounts of revenue for the kingdom. So lots of good things to talk about today. First, though, I should mention that we do have a resource that we're giving away today here on the Bottom Line Show. It's a book that, uh, you know, a couple months ago, we did an interview about uh, how God does wonderful things and speaks to us through the cats in our world. Well, and people have written and asked and said, well, what about dogs? What are you going to talk about dogs? Guess what? We have a dog conversation to have today here on The Bottom Line. Perfect for Good News Friday. The new book called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. The book is linked at thebottomlineshow.com. We have a couple copies of this book we're giving away. Larry Randolph and Jennifer Marshall Bleakley are the authors, and they're going to join me in the second segment of today's program. But first, good news out of a legendary, dare I say, iconic Christian university in Oklahoma. I'm talking about Oral Roberts University. This has been a kind of, ORU has been a very, very well-known university for many years, has a good reputation as a school that is a place where uh, people who are kind of in the body of Christ have gone and had a good Christian school experience. But it's also been a place where people outside the body of Christ have gone and had a really good academic experience too. Now, I realize Oral Roberts has his history or had his history. Uh, remember the whole prayer tower incident and all that stuff about God told me not coming out until we raise hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it was. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I'm glad to see ORU is still going, still going strong, and now is showing the way for those who often bemoan the fact that the government does so much in social service programs that are really based more on diversity, equity, inclusivity. Uh, they're really based more on social justice warriors and not so much on meeting needs. We have a biblical mandate to care for the poor, for the oppressed, for the widow, the fatherless. You know, all, and, and oftentimes there are Christian ministries that do step up. I think of Preborn and the great work that Preborn is doing to help um, uh, with the cause of getting ultrasound machines placed into preborn clinics. And you, as a bottom line listener, have done a tremendous job. The amount of money we've raised this year alone for ultrasound machines is great. I, I'll let you in on a little secret. Um, I think we've raised more money for ultrasound machines here in Southern California on the Bottom Line Show than on the other Crawford stations as well. <laughs> Just, you know, Bob, Duco, and you know the, the, the National Crawford Roundtable and the guys in Birmingham. Um, you're, you're really stepping up. So we have that double-edged sword of $28 monthly gifts to preborn that help provide ultrasound appointments for women, and then $15,000 donations, or we recently had a $15,000 match, and then we had a couple of guys step up with 3750 and 3750 that really helped keep the money here in the Southland. 
for every $15,000 gift means another ultrasound machine. So 833-850-BABY, if you want to be involved in the community, do this because there is no government program that I know of that is actually providing funding for pregnancy resource centers. So it's not easy for a faith-based organization to tap into federal money to help save babies' lives. But it is possible to help in an area where the community around you at large um, is looking to faith-based organizations to help with at-risk youth. And I mentioned Oral Roberts University. They recently received a grant from the U.S. Department of Education to help the growing number of at-risk students that was triggered partially by the lockdowns of the COVID-19 pandemic. The Department of Education has a strengthening institutions program. And basically what that does is they want to improve the graduation rate for minority students, uh, for students that are Pell Grant eligible, and they want to prevent, uh, provide, I should say, um, academic support for at-risk students. Now, it's interesting because we used to talk about the two-year college and the four-year college experience, right? Two-year, the community college, four-year, the Bachelor of Arts degree. Did you know that the average graduation rate time now at universities in the United States is six years for a bachelor's degree? As a matter of fact, this grant from the U.S. Department of Education is designed to help students who are in the minority and at-risk categories, any student that qualifies for a Pell Grant, it's trying to improve the six-year graduation rate. So, but I... I can't fault them for that. By the way, it's a $2.2 million grant and it will be dispersed over the course of the next five years. So we are very grateful to see the U.S. Department of Education partnering with a faith-based school to make sure that these changes happen. Kathleen Reed Martinez is the provost at Oral Roberts University and said in a statement, at-risk student crisis is one of the biggest challenges in higher education especially in wake of the pandemic. Quote, we are very fortunate at ORU that leadership recognized the post-pandemic challenges impacting so many students. It's very encouraging that the Department of Education saw the value in our grant application and in our approaches to helping students fulfill their goals and dreams. Officials at the university explained that while the institutions of higher learning typically have been serving at-risk students, like for, and, and so you're, you're an at-risk student by definition, if you are a first-generation college student, because the idea is a first-generation college student would potentially be at risk of saying, hey, you know what? Times are tough. Uh, family needs me to go to work, and therefore I'm leaving school. Or what about the ones who are struggling academically? What about the ones that are just having a lot of, uh, they've transferred in for a, from a different school and they're having a hard time adjusting to university life? Apparently, there has been a huge increase in the number of students who have been falling behind academically due to another phenomenon, which is called pandemic learning loss. All of that remote learning and not being in the classroom, there are a lot of students who forgot what it's like to be in the classroom. And I know you might chuckle and say, well, come on, they're adults. I have a dear friend, longtime friend, who's been teaching high school for 30 years, and she's got the same problem with honor students in high school. But here's the deal. Um, 
there was a survey recently conducted by the Lumina Foundation Gallup State of Higher Education study. It came out, it was for 2022, and it was published this spring. For every four out of every 10 students in post-secondary Asian programs have considered dropping out over the past six months, the most commonly cited reason was emotional stress. Now, it's interesting because the idea was they did this survey. They talked to about 12,000 people, adults ages anywhere from 18 to 59, who have at least a high school diploma and have not yet completed an associate's or bachelor's degree program. And the number of people who are considering dropping out just because it's so stressful. Well, this is now going to provide all sorts of support for them to handle their emotional distress. And I think that's encouraging. We've got a link for this article, by the way, up at thebottomlineshow.com. Speaking of handling emotional distress, I am amazed. The church I used to be a part of, there was a young lady who was a grad student. She was going for a master's in social work. She wanted to be a counselor. And she started volunteering with an organization that trains rescue dogs, emotional support dogs, comfort dogs. And these dogs were trained to work with different patients at different levels. It was someone who was too sedentary. The dog was trained to kind of be, you know, athletic and, hey, let's go play catch or let's go for a walk. Or there was one dog that was trained to work with people with diabetes. And if if the dog sensed that the insulin level was low, it was his or her job to, you know, sniff them and lick them and say, wake up, take your insulin. Um, Larry Randolph is the founder of an organization called Canines for Christ. And what Canines for Christ does is works to help place emotional support dogs and, and, and support support animals, but also uses those dogs as they're out and about as a witnessing tool as people come up and say, oh, your dog is so amazing. Uh, he and his co-author Jennifer Marshall Bleakley have written a book called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a couple copies of this book to give away. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, Larry and Jennifer will talk about canine comfort dogs. It's all coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today on The Bottom Line Show, we're going to have fun. We're going to talk about a topic that is, I think, of grave importance to a lot of people. I think just about every one of us knows someone who is going through a season like this where they have something that needs... uh, medical attention, whether it be emotional, physical, or spiritual support, and they're finding it through canines. So today here on The Bottom Line, Larry Randolph and Jennifer Marshall Bleakley are with me, and we're going to talk about a brand new book of theirs called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs, bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Larry Randolph, Jennifer Marshall Bleakley, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Roger. Okay, first and foremost, let's get this out of the way. Did I just hear dogs barking in the background? (laughs) Yes, sorry, that was mine. (laughs) No, that's quite all right. I'm surprised I wouldn't hear more of these things. Larry Randolph is the founder and president of Canines for Christ Therapy Dog Ministry, and Jennifer's love of the written word began when she was a very young girl who was looking for a way to get communication out, and they've teamed up together for this great book. Uh, Larry, what was it that led you to start Canines for Christ? It sounds like a great organization. Well, you know, your uh, your lead-in was a very appropriate because, you know, it, uh, uh, Canines for Christ is a organization that started out uh, years ago, 2007, when I didn't uh, didn't have a dog. I was just dogless in another career, and then God spoke to me and said, look, I want you to do something with the dogs, and I want them to be therapy dogs, and I want to 
uh, bring love and comfort and, and, uh, and joy and peace to people that are hurting, the elderly, mm-hmm. the sick, the lonely, the, you know, the people in hospice, the veterans, uh, many, many different types of people. And, and uh, you do it in my name. So we, we, uh, we, we started this ministry, and uh, in one person at a time, we visited an old nun, uh, and started with her in a retirement center, and God bless her. She was like a, a welcome lady to the community, and she said, let's go take your dog to other people in the community that were elderly and that were sick and that were just, you know, in uh, it really needed. They were lonely. So we started seeing the effects of this, Roger, and mm-hmm. the effects were amazing. The, see what the dog did. Uh, just to, uh, when they could see the soul of the eyes of the dog and let pet the pet the animal and uh just the the the, the loneliness just dropped the joy came out they started laughing uh in the midst of their loneliness and it it just it was infectious and uh the whole community started saying come on bring her bring our dog by so it was mm-hmm. just a, an amazing journey just to see what's what we started with and then god in his grace and mercy opened up every door from that point on. And hmm. from starting from a, a position of having no dog and bar, barring a dog, that was my daughter's dog. We now have over, you know, well over a thousand uh, volunteers and dogs in this ministry and wow. all of the United States and a few foreign countries. So it's, it's, it's an amazing story of, of how God can use uh, one dog or no dog with uh, one dog and one person to, uh, in his, uh, to create the possible from the impossible. Hmm. I'm talking with uh, Larry Randolph today here on The Bottom Line. He's the founder of Canines for Christ and the brand new book called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs. Bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jennifer, how did you uh, connect with Larry? I mean, what, what what is your story as far as the canines go? Well, I had just finished um, writing at the book Proverbs, for a dog lover's heart. It's a devotional mm-hmm. based in the book of Proverbs, but using mm-hmm. um, animal stories. And for that one, it's specifically dog stories. So hence the name Proverbs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I had written so many stories about the, the lessons that we can learn from dogs um, that teach us things about ourselves, about each other, and about God. And so my publisher um, asked if I would be interested in, in talking with Larry. They had heard about the ministry and felt that there was a story there. So we did a, a joint phone call and just got to meet um, he and his wife, Susan, and, and hear some of their story. And, of course, knowing that it involved dogs and Jesus, I didn't mm. really need to hear too much else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, oh, there were so many cute. commonalities. He, he had a, a beautiful yellow lab uh, or white lab named Gracie, and I have a, a golden retriever. Name's Gracie. Uh, he lives um, near Tampa, Florida. I'm, I'm from St. Petersburg, Florida, and sure. so just some some really sweet commonalities. That that was a great starting point, and then um, just getting to know him through the writing process. And just, I think that's great. Um, so admire admire yeah. me and Susan and the work God is doing through them. I think that's it's incredible. And Larry, I not to take anything away from Gracie's testimony, but I understand that prior to Gracie, there was Gus. Can you tell me about Gus real quick? Because I I, I, I want to hear. I, anytime right. anybody's got a Basset Hound story, I want to hear it. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I was, uh, had gone through a series of this, a very this, uh, this, I would say, uh, uh, devastating things in my life. I had 
you know, had been a, a major business career and through the series of economic downturns in the 80s, early 90s, uh, that career completely collapsed and in, uh, eventually ended up in a bankruptcy, which also culminated in the, the loss of my wife and mm. at that time. And uh, it was just hard. It was just, a, it just like one thing after another was, was happening, and it was all negative. And uh, one day, my daughter, my youngest daughter, they, my, at that time, we were still married with my wife and, and two kids, and, and we, we were going through the really ch- challenging times. And so uh, I walked into the house one day, and they had this little, uh, it was about a six-pound uh, dog, and it was a basset hound, the cutest little thing with floppy ears, <laughs> big feet, and you could only, only really see the ears and the feet. Uh, and the body was just, you know, there, but it was going to be big. You could tell, but, uh, and they said, you know, we, we, we know you're, you're struggling. We want to bring you a, a little creature that will bring you some joy and peace and love in your life. And, and, uh, here's Gus and they mm. threw that dog in my lap. And i tell you something, uh, in the midst of, uh, the, all the disturbing things that were happening and the decisions that were going to be need, need to be made, which weren't good. I had that little dog, and it kept me uh, with God's power. And I believe that His grace gave me the uh, the, uh, the ability to keep moving forward mm-hmm. and not to give up and, and have hope. And uh, that little guy was just a powerful influence in my life at that time and really saved me. Uh, well, God saved me, but the dog was a vessel that he used to bring uh, peace and comfort when I was just at the you know the lowest stages of depression and anxiety and it's a powerful story of how you can use any creature but you know at different times in your life God puts people and you know vessels in your life to help mm-hmm. you in your walk with Him and get you through the hard times and uh, Gus was one of those little guys and it, it's lo and behold and I didn't know this but God had a plan that he was going to use Gus as a therapy dog. Hmm. And that was going to be kind of like the therapy dog before every other therapy dog we had. And um, because years le- a few years later, I was walking Gus down a, a street in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, uh, I saw this, this booth, and it was a table, and it was, had these these uh, dogs and they had like blue vest on and it was a, a organization and they were therapy dog organization. I had never heard of therapy dogs before. Mm-hmm. And so Gus being the friendly dog that he was, he loved everybody and everybody loved him. He saw shade up there and, and was making friends. And, and they said, you know, this dog would be a perfect therapy dog. Would you like to do something? So, uh, I said, okay. I didn't know what, what they would, exactly wanted me to do what they said. We want you to take him to us, an elderly retirement center and, uh, and busy with the people. So uh, I did that for a while. And then, uh, Gus, uh, unfortunately passed away. He had, a mm. uh, uh, an issue with the, what they call, um, twisted stomach. Mm. And, uh, about a, mu- a month after I started doing some initial work with him on that aspect, but, uh, that's my story with Gus, and he was a mm. he was a gift to me, and I mm-hmm. I uh, will always remember that sweet guy. 
Wow. He sounds like a real sweetheart. He would have gotten along great with the childhood dog that we had, my brother and sister and I. Boaz, the Basset Hound, was 14 and uh, helped my brother and sister through a lot of depression and a lot of things we didn't even didn't even know and understand at the time. But it's amazing how these dogs have that ability. Larry Randolph, Jennifer Bleakley with me today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, Larry's the founder of Canines for Christ, and they are the co-authors of this brand new book called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story Mm -hmm. of therapy dogs, bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, welcome back to this edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good news Friday, and we're talking dogs. We're talking canines. We're just having a great time having this discussion. Uh, Larry Randolph, Jennifer Bleakley are with me today here on the program. We're talking about a book that they have written. It is called Finding Grace, the Inspiring True Story of Therapy Dogs, Bringing Comfort, Hope, and Love to a Hurting World. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, this book has nothing but five-star ratings, the cutest cover you'll ever see. And for everybody who called in, we got flooded with calls when we had our cat book on about a month or so ago. I know this is going to be a popular one, too, because more and more people are opening up to the idea that dogs are more than just cute and fun and playful, but they really do have a special purpose in life. And God uses dogs to speak to us, to, uh, you know, to speak to other people in different needs. And uh, the, the fact that Larry Randolph in particular um, was basically was praying and he said God told him two simple words therapy dogs and he said the only problem was he didn't have a dog um, his dog Gus his basset hound had passed away and he wasn't even sure he could you know open his heart up to having a dog again but uh, he did and uh, the the resulting story is this a, a brand new group called canines for Christ dogs that are used as uh, basically to help share the gospel you know they do more than just the the pet support and therapy that uh, many people have become accustomed to. And I think of uh, uh, Jennifer Ullman, a young woman in my church, a former church that uh, used therapy dogs as a way of ministering to other people, not only physically and emotionally, but also spiritually too. Uh, Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs, bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away. So whether you are a, uh, a a lover of dogs, I think of Jennifer Marshall Bleakley as the co-author of a book called uh, Paw Verbs, which is about, you know, 
dogs and proverbs and stuff like that. But how many people appreciate the value of a good dog? I mean, just good boy, good girl, you know, in your life. Or if you know somebody who is this way or somebody who maybe has had this really strong attachment to canines for years and hasn't really been able to put two and two together with regard to the spiritual connection, this is that book you want to get a hold of. Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. The link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Three copies of the book we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And let me just add a little caveat here. Uh, Lisa and I were talking over the weekend about uh, uh, our daughter Taylor and her husband Christian and the little pug that they have. Um, Pickles, is just, he's not he's not for everyone that's for sure but he's one of those kind of dogs who loves and cares for them and their kids and especially as both you know, Nazareth just turned a year old last week and um, his older sister Zipporah turns uh, three coming up in the spring but one of the things that we appreciate is the fact that even from the time Taylor was expecting both of those kids this dog really took care of them and really does protect them too and he knew even while the babies were in the womb and while they were growing, the value of and the sanctity of human life. And so if you are a dog lover, I want to compel you to call our friends at Preborn today at 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, and make a donation of $28. Maybe if you've got a dog, or maybe you have a dog who just had a litter of puppies, you know, maybe one for each puppy. $28 provides an ultrasound image a whole ultrasound session for a woman who may or may not know the sanctity of human life in her womb. She may have been told it's a cluster of cells. She may have been told that this is just something, you know, it's your choice, it's your body, it's your decision, not realizing that you're talking about a human being who's in there who should be cared for. If our pug can figure out that the baby's growing inside the mama's belly uh, needed protecting, then we can protect these little ones too. 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics will wind up having uh, a positive decision for the child, either to release the child for adoption or to raise the child on their own. And preborn provides all the support and everything you need. It's about a two-year process uh, from the time a woman first goes to a preborn clinic. So 833-850-BABY, make a $28 donation to save one life, 280 saves 10, or a $15,000 donation provides an ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic right here, right close to where you are. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, more of our conversation about canines for Christ and finding grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Been hurt in an accident, and you're wondering if you should call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. You must. That's why insurance exists, to cover accidents. So you should use it. Stephanie worked in the insurance industry for over 20 years, and she knows their system, how to talk to adjusters, how they think, and how to get back from them all that you've lost. That could be wages, time, property, or anything else that the accident has taken from you. Every minute you wait hurts your chance to be made whole again, and Stephanie knows that the opposing insurance company is building a case against you, so time is a factor. Stephanie cares about the truth, she builds your case on a rock-solid foundation of honesty. She will give you a clear understanding of what to expect during the process, and Stephanie will ensure that the truth comes to light. If you or someone you know has been in an accident and you're not sure if you need an attorney, reach out to Stephanie Cover now at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. 
Larry Randolph, Jennifer Bleakley with me today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, Larry is the founder of Canines for Christ, and they are the co-authors of this brand new book called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story Mm -hmm. of therapy dogs, bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Talk about Canines for Christ, if you would, Uh, either Larry or Jennifer. I mean, Larry, that's kind of a passion of yours, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who are saying, okay, I've seen those dogs with the vests on before, but I don't really fully understand what the training is. And I know I have a a very dear friend of mine, she and her husband, he's a pastor and she's a concert clarinetist, went to Berkeley School of Music and just, or maybe it was Juilliard, but she's also has epilepsy. And she has now been able to get a a therapy dog that helps her because sometimes she'll have a seizure and kind of pass out anywhere. Could be on a public transportation. It could be uh, anywhere. And she now has a therapy dog that kind of helps her to sense when these things are coming on and stuff like that. Can you talk about how the Canines for Christ organization does help people with, you know, different medical challenges or emotional things to uh, kind of be restored to wholeness? Sure. Well... The, you know, the mission of Canine to Christ is uh, is using ordinary people like me or like Jen or like you, Roger, that can do, uh, that can use their beloved dogs, these are family pets, to share God's message of love, hope, kindness, and compassion to their community. That's a simple message of what Canine to Christ does. Uh, and we present the, the, the scriptural message or the theme of the ministry, John 3.16, that we offer God's love through these beautiful animals, and they can be any pet, any any animal, any dog that wants to that has a personality of calmness, gentleness, uh, demeanor of uh, of being able to to be petted easily without aggressive tendencies or barking, and just can put what I call a you know a warm nose in somebody's face and a wagging tail. And then you have the, the ability to use them as a therapy dog. Mm-hmm. And we train these dogs through the American Kennel Club, which is the largest organization of, of dogs in the, in the world, really, that they have a program called the Canine Good Citizens Certification Program. And that's a socialization program where they, we have 10 tests the dog take. They have to pass the test in order to get the certification. But that allows them to... Uh, have that certification, and then they can go in with the volunteer to all different types of places, like hospitals, 911 call centers. We do that a lot. The special needs, we're very active in the disabled community around and uh, special needs with adults as well as children. Uh, court systems, we, we go into the courts where, where uh, people that are going in front of a judge, they're so anxious. Can you imagine yourself? I mean, you know, who, you know that what happens when you go in front of a, a judge, you know, right. you're, you're like nervous. Well, dogs can bring calmness in that situation. We've done that hundreds of times. It's been a beautiful to see that. Very active in crisis response where we, we a year or so ago, a year and a half, we were at Uvalde in that terrible crisis with the mm. murder of those mm-hmm. children and the teachers. And we were there with 30 or 40 teams just ministering to people without saying anything, just to to offer God's love and presence in, with these beautiful dogs as they people were crying and just putting their face in the fur of these dogs and just sobbing. But the ministry was so powerful in that situation. And then police departments, we do a lot with the police, uh, very active with uh, police departments all over the country. You know, those officers are in a lot of stress situations. They mm-hmm. are definitely yeah. need help when they come off their shifts and so forth. And 
schools. We do have a reading program called Study Buddies where we go in and let the dogs lay in front of a class and then the students read to the dogs. It's quite interesting because it helps the students in their reading the learning abilities Mm because they don't have any pressure. These are non-judgmental dogs. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't judge like like teachers do. So the dogs Uh are just calm. It's a calming effect. Mm. Hospice, many cancer centers, just a lot of places, Roger, we go, and uh, and it's just uh, it's beautiful to see how God can use these dogs, which are vessels, so that these volunteers we have can spread God's love through through the dogs, and then say, you know, God loves you today. You know, I, I know you're petting my dog, and I'm glad you're petting him. But you know, God loves my dog too, but He loves you just as much mm-hmm. and even more. Yes, and uh, it's beautiful to see the response to that. Hmm. Larry Randolph, the founder of Canines for Christ, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, along with Jennifer Bleakey. They are the co-authors of a brand new book called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jennifer, Larry said something I want you to kind of expand upon, if you would, the idea that oftentimes when people do see someone out and about with a therapy dog and, you know, there's, you know, don't pet them or, you know, look at them or whatever there and they're there for a variety of different reasons but the fact that i have often affiliated the dogs with providing direct comfort for the person that they're but what it sounds like canines for christ is doing is to say yeah and we're using that as a witness for the lord talk about how there's a difference between just maybe the basic mm-hmm. uh, therapy training you know that a dog would have to help somebody who's diabetic or whatever and the evangelism part, the, the the witnessing for the Lord part that's so intentional in this organization. Yeah, and that was one of the things that Larry was helpful in, in me understanding um, as we got started writing this book was the difference between service dogs and therapy dogs. And um, like you had said, Roger, we have several service dogs in our church, and they have the vests that say, you know, please don't touch, I'm working. Um, and it's always hard for me as, as a, you know, quintessential dog lover. I want to touch all the dogs. But um, so we just kind of admire from afar. And then we have some therapy dogs that will come in and they're about to say, please touch me. <laughs> so um, the, the difference with the service dog is, is that dog is performing a service for someone. So your friend with epilepsy, the dog's main focus and sole focus is on that person and doing the job that they've been trained to do, whether that's alerting to, you know, a diabetic episode or an um, epileptic, epileptic episode, or if it's a seeing eye dog, a guide dog. And so in those instances, those dogs are specifically trained for a very long time to do a certain skill. And then with the therapy dogs, like Canines for Christ is, um, that it's, it's the beautiful thing is that it's not a hard process to get your dog certified um, with the canines good citizen test. Our dog Gracie is actually has that certification. And um, as long as your dog is pretty calm and, and even tempered and, um, you know, you can get that and then start working with your dog and partnering together to bring hope. And there's so many different therapy dog organizations, but what I just love about Canines for Christ is where, you know, anyone can benefit from interacting with with a sweet, um, kind, gentle dog. Canines for Christ goes a step further in in directing the people to the hope of the gospel and Mm -hmm. and using the dog, um, like Larry said, as that vessel that when, you know, someone is, is looking at this dog whose tail's wagging and who's so happy to be with them, 
then a Canines for Christ volunteer can, can say something like, um, do you see how happy my dog is to see you? Did you know that God is even happier mm. when he looks at you, that God's mm. heart um, towards you is, 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 is even more excited than this dog? And, and to really bring it back to, um, to the hope of the gospel and giving people a, a little glimpse of God's love for them and how a dog can and is willing to just sit with someone in the midst of their pain and they don't have to pretend to be strong. They don't have to put up a good front. They can just be what they need to be with this dog to point out, you know, that's how God is. You don't have to pretend with God. He's right here. He's with mm-hmm. you. Um, he sees you as you are and he's staying with you. So it really is partnering with the dog to help people understand a little bit better the hope of the gospel. Yeah, it's interesting, Jen, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about something Larry said in the opening segment about, uh, you know, the, the, that kind of soul connection that people have with animals and especially with dogs. Mm-hmm. And that, that is, Larry, that's scientifically true, is it not? I mean, that there's something about the way the dog's, you know, eyes and face can kind of conform and whatever. God really does use the our canine friends in that capacity to kind of get more than just a physical connection but a soul-to-soul connection too well i believe that uh you know this is this uh god has put a spirit in the dog and it's a beautiful you can see it i mean you people say dogs don't have emotions that is so if you have a dog you know that is absolutely not true at all mm-hmm. uh you know when you're you come home roger and and you have all day at, uh, at at your station, and and you know the dog is waiting for you at the door, tails wagging, you know, and, and it just greets you with a smile on its face or in its eyes, and saying, "He's home, he's home." Mm-hmm. You know, that's bring, uh, you know, that's an emotion, that's a joyful emotion the dogs have, and that's the emotion that they have in, in, with with us, in, in to bring that soulful spirit into the equation of meeting and greeting strangers. And, you know, we live in a world that nobody wants to talk to each other. I mean, you, you don't know anybody's name anymore and you just feel, uh, you know, kind of isolated, but, uh, people will talk to a dog. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that the most wonderful thing? Mm Because if we didn't have dogs in this world, it'd be like nobody would speak to each other. That's sad. (laughs) (laughs) But then we'll talk to the dog, and and that's the icebreaker. See, these are icebreakers, because when they talk to the dog, when we go into an elderly center, and and a lady's in a wheelchair, and the dog kind of sachets up to her, and and, and she'll start talking to that dog. and, And then the volunteer, just like Jen said, can just uh, start communicating and uh, how's your day and don't you look beautiful in your dress and and bring bring kind good things. I tell all the volunteers, you know, your your job is to bring God's joy into the equation. These people yes. are lonely, they're sick, they're hurting in some way, but your job is to bring the message of joy, God's joy and love to people. And the dogs are just the door opener for you. And it's a beautiful way of people getting into a ministry that they may have had problems or not success in other ministries because they just didn't have the right vehicle or the vessel to open a door for them. So, mm-hmm. uh, but if they have a beautiful dog and they, they want to get involved with us, uh, we have a need all over the country for more people. That's the, the reason the Bible says the laborers are few, but the harvest is great. And, mm-hmm. and that's so true. We, we just need more people uh, to go out and visit you know, the, the, uh, the communities that they serve in and share the gospel of Jesus through these dogs. I think that's a fantastic.
opportunity. And we'll put a link for Canines for Christ up at thebottomlineshow.com. Larry Randolph, Jennifer Marshall Bleakley. The book is called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. There's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. And I have a feeling that uh, we're going to have quite a few people after we conclude our conversation here, ringing us up saying, hey, can you guys give us a free copy of this book? Not you two, but I mean, us here at the studio. We'll we'll make sure we take care of that. But uh, Larry and Jennifer, thank you so much for the work that you're doing with this outstanding organization. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Our pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day now. God bless. Well, if that doesn't warm your heart, I'm not quite sure what will at this point. My thanks again to Larry Randolph and Jennifer Bleakley, the co-authors of the brand new book called Finding Grace. And uh, Grace, of course, got a picture of a dog in the front. The inspiring true story of therapy dogs bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. A link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Larry Randolph, the founder of Canines for Christ, and uh, just a good guy. And Jennifer Marshall Bleakley, an author with a similar uh, ministry desire and bent. We have not one, not two, but three copies of this book to give away, and I anticipate a feeding frenzy. So give, give your best shot to Crystal right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, whether you are a dog lover or you know someone who is, Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs, bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world, is for you. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, you know, it's interesting when we think about what uh, the role of our canine friends is, uh, especially for people who are going through tough times. Uh, one of the places where I've seen this more commonly uh, played out is on college campuses. I know my son got his Husky when he was going to college and uh, has turned out, to, she's, she's not an official therapy dog per se, but she's kind of his emotional support for sure. Uh, I mean, see the way she's treated. <laughs> she has her own bedroom. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to let that go, but Momo has her own, Momo the Husky has her own bedroom. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, as we continue, I want to take a look at something else that ha- is happening on college campuses right now. It should be a place where college students aren't ridiculed or hassled for their Christian faith, but there's one Christian school in particular that says, hey, that's happening. And it's not a religious organization. It's not a political group necessarily that's coming after them. It's actually the U.S. Department of Education. You have to wonder, why does the U.S. Department of Education have an issue with the largest Christian university in the country? That would be Grand Canyon University. Has Grand Canyon done anything wrong or immoral or illegal? Or is this just they're being targeted because of their Christian beliefs? Well, on the other side of this break, we're going to dig into this story as to why the Internal Revenue Service and the Department of Education are now joining forces to come after Grand Canyon University and potentially not put them out of business, but make it very, very difficult for them to do the ministry to which they've been called to do. We're going to take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Larry Randolph and also Jennifer Bleakley uh, for joining me for a conversation today here on The Bottom Line about the book Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs, bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. We're giving away a couple copies of the book today. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's no secret that uh, more and more people are requiring uh, the use of uh, therapy dogs, if you will, have a dear friend who's epileptic. She and her husband are on a short list waiting for uh, a, a, a seizure dog, if you will, one that can help detect when she might 
you know, be having a seizure or stay with her and comfort her when she does. Uh, think of other people I mentioned earlier, my friend Jennifer, who uh, got a master's in social work recently from Cal State Fullerton, I believe. And part of her work was working in terms of uh, training therapy dogs. We used to have a different therapy dog in that she was working with all the time in worship, and it was kind of fun. They'd come up for communion. It was really great. Um, but it, is, it does point to the fact that a lot of people in the body of Christ, especially, are feeling put upon, are really having you know, to deal with spiritual warfare and that type of stuff, and it's not uh, stuff that you really want to have to face. Another area where we see the spiritual warfare starting to show up is in the area of our business world and the academic world and the political world. And anybody that holds to a biblical worldview seems to be ripe for the taking. Case in point, uh, Grand Canyon University. What, what are they, the antelopes or the jackalopes or something like that? <laughs> I've, I know some people who, who go there. Fascinating story, Grand Canyon. It was Grand Canyon College for a while, then became university. And they were going through just a really difficult spell. As a matter of fact, at one point, they actually had more students taking courses online, distance learning, than they did actual students on campus. And I was doing some work with Azusa Pacific University, and APU was trying to launch an online university, and they actually considered merging with Grand Canyon, basically to take on their online university. As a matter of fact, I remember being part of a group. I was the voiceover guy for a lot of the... Uh, Azusa Pacific Online University stuff they were doing, anticipating this would happen. And then the founder of the University of Phoenix became available, headed on over to Grand Canyon University, and now it has become the nation's largest Christian university. They have a larger on-campus footprint, evidently, than any other Christian school in the country. And of course, their online footprint landed uh, pretty well. So um, it's interesting to see now that they're getting so big what happens when the government doesn't like what the faith-based organization is doing? The president of Grand Canyon University, Brian Mueller, has been asked to comment recently on a, uh, well, a it's kind of a little, no, a well-known fact, a poorly hidden secret, that GCU has been under the scrutiny of the education department, Department of Education, uh, for a couple of years now, especially since the Biden administration has been ruling the roost. And the question is, are they, I mean, some schools like Liberty University have also faced this as well. But it's interesting. Uh, Grand Canyon uh, has argued that the federal investigations are tied to a Department of Education investigation that denied the academic institution's effort to convert into a nonprofit organization in 2018. Now, a lot of colleges and universities are in POs. I mean, they, that, that's... That's part of the appeal. The idea that they, you know, they'll they make a big deal out of the for-profit university model, it's just, it's not good. And it's just, we really need to hold to a higher standard by doing nonprofit. A uh, very great man in Christian broadcasting by the name of Dick Bott, of Bot Broadcasting, B-O-T-T, once very famously said, the only difference between the commercial operation and the non-commercial operation is the way they file their taxes. And he's right. Absolutely right. I mean, when you think about a lot of hospitals are nonprofit organizations, right? And what does that mean? It just means that on the balance sheet, they don't have a profit. But by becoming nonprofit organizations, that's the reason why you can walk into any major hospital in the United States and half the building is named after the Dick and Dee Dee Weber Foundation or the, you know, people give generously to nonprofit organizations. By going nonprofit, you lower your tax burden, obviously, and Grand Canyon University w w wants to do it this way. It's not like this is unprecedented. 
As a matter of fact, when Grand Canyon was founded in 1949, it was founded as a nonprofit organization. But as times got tough, I mentioned the late 1990s and the early 2000s, they were going through a season when it seemed like they were looking to raise more capital, try to get more investment uh, on the commercial level. And so they switched from 501c3 tax exempt status to being a for-profit entity. Well, that's where the uh, Department of Education got involved. Basically in 2018, they returned to being a 501c3 tax exempt Arizona nonprofit organization. They said that was approved by the Internal Revenue Service, the Higher Learning Commission, the Arizona Private Post-Secondary Board, NCAA Athletics, and the state of Arizona were all in favor of it. They'd been that way once. They were only a for-profit entity for about 10, 15 years, and now they wanted to go back to being a nonprofit. Not uncommon for colleges to do. But when they went from nonprofit to profit in 2004, they were on the verge of extinction. And when they went from profit to nonprofit again back in 2018, they had become the largest Christian university in the country. Well, uh, the Department of Education rejected that request, and then they tried to negotiate with them, and uh, basically they finally pushed back and filed a lawsuit in 2021. They said that the Department of Education's decision was arbitrary and, capri and capricious. An official from the DOE responded and said that the department determined that under the Trump administration in 2018, Grand Canyon does not meet the Higher Education Act's definition of a nonprofit because the majority of their revenues were allocated to a former owner, a for-profit entity. Now that's a stupid technicality. Even I can see through that argument. Uh, in one year, the year that they made the switch, what they're saying is that they didn't meet the Higher Education Act definition of a nonprofit because the majority of the money was allocated to a former owner. Well, of course it would be. They used to be the owner. I, they're, they're saying there's some kind of funny business going on. I'm not buying it. But one thing I am buying is you're asking, well, Roger, why are you including this in the Good News Friday story? Well, may I, may I turn your attention to the fact that first and foremost, we have a Christian organization that went from under 2,000 students in 2004 to over 60,000 students today. But there's a biblical reason why I think this is a good news story as well. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 
B-A-B-Y. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. You have a couple moments left to get a call in to pick up a copy of that we're giving away free. Got a couple copies to give away of the great book written by the founder of Canines for Christ, Larry Randolph. The book is called Finding Grace, the inspiring true story of therapy dogs, bringing comfort, hope, and love to a hurting world. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. The story of Grand Canyon University's turnaround from being founded as a nonprofit Christian school in 1949 to being on the ropes financially and nearly going under in 2004, they switched their status to for-profit because they thought it would attract more investment. But by 2018, 60,000 students on the student body, up from 2,000, 15 years earlier, and um, a desire to go nonprofit. So the Department of Education says you can't do that. And we say, persecution, this is terrible. Here's what I also say to that story. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Powerful words from James's epistle and a reminder to each of us that when we are doing the things that God wants us to do, we're growing in a world that is more hostile toward Christianity. And as a result, uh, what we're seeing is more and more organizations like Grand Canyon University coming in the crosshairs. Guys, we're praying for you. Keep fighting the good fight and count it all joy when you are facing trials for your faith in Christ. That's the good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. We've got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming your way next. For those who remain on the network, a case of mistaken identity. Literally, a Christian man kind of forgot he was a Christian for a few moments, and it wound up to rather an embarrassing but grace-filled encounter with a nun. We'll tell you that story coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here, actually, maybe welcome back if we're listening to hour number two of the broadcast. Especially want to welcome our friends who listen on KLTT in Denver. They get a half-hour version of the Bottom Line Show every day. Of course, KLDC, AM 1220, gets the whole 90 minutes. And we've had more and more people who catch the half-hour version, which is kind of a best-of version. It, it's stuff that had aired maybe a week or so before um, getting to hear the real deal today. So welcome to Friday, November 3rd and uh, the last half hour of today's edition of this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. The story we're going to look at here in this last half hour is an interesting one. There's a quick video that we'll put up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's from our friends over at thefederalistpapers.org. And it's a story of something that I think has become very common in today's society. Um, I've had the privilege of traveling to half of the United States, most of the time on business. And so if I'm on business, I'm usually, you know, getting a Uber or a cab or something like that. But occasionally I rent a car. And the reason I bring that part up is because I've had a chance. I mean, spent most of my life driving in California. California drivers are what they are. But I've also had a chance to drive in other states. 
And it's interesting to see the way people act when it comes to things involving their motor vehicles. Uh, I remember talking to a woman in Texas one time. We was just kind of uh, making conversation. We were at a convention, and I was talking about Texas drivers, and she was really offended. Oh, well, I, I've lived here my whole life, and, uh, you know, if, if you've got a problem with the road, you just got to get off to the side and, you know, get out of the way. And I thought, that's kind of interesting because it took me a while to learn, you know, in California, the lane closest to the high occupancy vehicle lane is what we call the fast lane. Everybody knows you drive 10 to 15 miles an hour over the speed limit. That's just the way it works. In Texas, that same lane is the passing lane. And it doesn't matter how fast or slow someone's going, you get in that lane to pass people and then get over. And when I mentioned I didn't know that, and I was just kind of cruising along thinking I was doing okay, and trucks were running up on me, she goes, well, you're supposed to slow down and get over. you know. And she got really kind of, I mean, we went from a very nice, pleasant conversation at a faith-based gathering to, uh, who the heck are you to tell me how to drive? You know, I'm like, oh, okay. That's fine. There's just something about how our attitudes change when it comes to vehicles. It could be what we're doing behind the wheel. It could be the way we're, you know, we're driving. I, I find that when I'm preaching, I use a lot of different um, analogies and things. Where <laughs> If ever I'm calling myself out on my own sin, it's usually something that started behind the wheel, right? And maybe that's been your experience as well. But when I came across this story about a man by the name of Darius Simpson, and I'm assuming it's Darius, he spells his name D-A-R-I-C-E. So I guess you could make that Darius, I, I don't, I'm not sure. Or maybe it's Darius or Darius. Anyway, 29 years of age, he, um, he was, had, took issue with the fact that there was someone who was parked in front of his car. Or front, he parked their car in front of his home. Now, uh, you know, if it was some, some parked in front of someone's car, that's a, you've got a legitimate gripe. If someone, you're in a parking space and someone comes in next to you and their car's a little too close and now you can't open your door trying to get back in, that, that's a legitimate gripe. But here's the thing. When it comes to a car parked in front of your home, well, then you have to take a look at the laws of the land. Now, where is your home? Do you live in a, uh, on a residential street? Do you live on a commercial street? Do you live inside a community that has a gate or not a gate, but has a homeowner's association? Maybe the rule's there. It's private property, so they can have a different set of rules than the standard rules on the road, whereas a residential street might have a speed limit of 25 miles per hour. For example, your HOA might decide that the speed limit's 17. And uh, I did learn years ago that the only reason they do that isn't so much that they're trying to catch you going 19 in a 17-mile-an-hour zone. The whole idea is people are so used to seeing speed limits that end in 0 or 5 that if you pick a different number, it's just designed, it's a safety thing. It's designed to keep you from uh, driving too fast through a, an area where you shouldn't be driving that quickly. Makes sense. A little uh, psychology there. Um, fine. But then there are certain unwritten rules that are, you know, they're not posted, but everybody knows. Now, I have got a family story that goes along with this. The everybody knows part is that the person who parked in front of Mr. Simpson's home did not know that the unwritten rule of the neighborhood is that you're not allowed to park on the street in front of somebody else's home. It's not a, a law, uh, perhaps, but it's rather, it's just something everybody knows, quote unquote. Um, my dad spent a lot of time in a lot of different places. His family was born in Seattle area. And when he was in junior high, the family moved to Corona. And uh, yay, 100.7 FM carries us in Corona, California, along with K-Bright that goes everywhere. 
And uh, they lived in Corona for mm, four or five years, I think. And uh, then they kind of moved around. My dad's parents were kind of wandering entrepreneurs. And I think he went to five different high schools in four years, that type of thing. Met my mom his senior year in high school at Whittier High, and that was a wonderful experience for both of them. But when he was in the ninth grade, he lived in Corona, right there by the Big Plunge, 6th Street. You guys know where it is. And he had a Cushman motor scooter, and a buddy of his had a motorcycle. And they used to deliver the morning edition of the newspaper before they went to, I guess, Corona High. Probably the only school there. There's Centennial and Santiago, a bunch of other schools there now. And so each of them, being 14 years of age, really, really liked the other's ride. Didn't matter that my dad's Cushman didn't have nearly as much juice as his buddy's motorcycle. They liked trading each other's vehicles. And so they would do that. And then being kids, they would wait for the donut shop to open before they went home and went to school. And they would kind of play ditching with each other like you couldn't hear the motor <laughs> going through Corona. And they turn off their headlights so you couldn't be seen. So my dad's on his buddy's motorcycle, buddy's on my dad's Cushman. They're cruising through downtown Corona. And at one point, my dad uh, makes a right turn to kind of get away from his friend who uh, they were hiding in residential areas. It, by the way, if you were, let's see, that was 75 years ago. If you lived in Corona 75 years ago and a bunch of kids were riding around the neighborhood at four in the morning, that probably wasn't my dad. I just, I, I don't want you to be mad at him. He's a great guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it was him anyway. But he came whipping around the corner. And it was interesting because the next thing he remembers, he was going to the hospital because he went crashing through the rear window of a car that was parked there. Now, this was in an area where there was a sign, I believe there was a sign, that said no parking there. But there was a guy who lived on the street. Apparently, he was a bartender. And he used to work the late shift. And sometimes he'd have a couple for the road. And he came home and didn't feel like pulling into the driveway. And so he just pulled in front of his house, parked the car, walked inside, went home, went to bed. Next thing you know, my dad's leg is broken in three places. He's in traction, and he spent the entire third quarter of the ninth grade with his leg up in a sling. Uh, to this day, my dad has a little bit of a limp because his right leg is a quarter inch shorter than his left leg. Um, anyway, because of that crazy incident. Well, the incident there, in his case, it made sense to have no parking in front of the homes because the street sweeper would come by or whatever it was. And also there were crazy kids who used to play, you know, ditch them on their motorcycles at four o'clock in the morning after delivering a morning newspaper. But to my knowledge, the guy who parked the car there was in the wrong because they had a city ordinance that said you can't park there. In this case, Darius Simpson in Ohio, there is no ordinance. It's just kind of an unwritten rule on his street that says, don't park your car in front of somebody else's homes. And it may be because the road's too narrow. Uh, it might be, I mean, even if it isn't too narrow, it might just be kind of awkward to have a car parked in front of your home. And quite frankly, maybe it's just because everybody's a not-in-my-backyard person, and on old Nimby Street there in Ohio, they don't want people parking their cars in the front yard. So anyway, Darius Simpson found a car parked in front of his home. And so he decided he was going to take action. He wrote a note and put it on the windshield of the car. You ever had that happen to you? It's kind of like the old scope commercials where you go to the mailbox and there's a box of scope mouthwash and, well, you get the idea. I have only once had a note left on my car windshield. I won't tell you what it said because it was, it was kind of embarrassing, actually, for the person who left it. I don't think they knew what they were doing. 
But anyway, um, here's the story. Darius Simpson said um, he was sitting outside of his home. He was cleaning his shoes, and he saw a car parked in front of his home. He said, I understand that I do not own the street, right? It's not illegal to do, but there's kind of an unwritten rule that you just don't do this. So I decided, you know, that I was going to leave a note for the person who parked there and say, hey, uh, you know, you can't park here, this, that, and the other thing. Well, apparently, the note included some profanity. Um, I'll see if I can read this to you uh, in such a way that does not get us fined by the FCC. It said, hey, move your blankety-blank box from in front of my house. Placed it on the windshield of a red car parked in front of his home. Well, eventually, he was out there, you know, waiting to see who would come claim the car, if anyone did. And then all of a sudden, he sees her. A woman walking toward the car, who presumably is the owner of the car. Someone he never would have expected to be the owner of the car. And once he did, he, uh, he realized he made a horrible mistake. And he ran out and tried to get to the car before she did and get the note off the windshield. Remember, he referred to this woman's car as a something box. You could, a four-letter word starts with S. You can, you can put the two together. When you find out who the woman is, though, and you find out this man's background, and you find out the way this story ends, well, <laughs> let's just say that there is a happy ending to it. It's a good news story, but it's also a cautionary tale. Let's take a look at it coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're taking a look here. The final Good News Friday story for the week involves a man by the name of Darius Simpson. He's 29 years of age, lives in Ohio, was sitting on his front stoop, uh, cleaning some shoes that he had outside. Apparently, they were too dirty to bring inside when he noticed there was a car parked in front of his home, red car. And he said, now, everybody knows in our neighborhood. He goes, I don't own the whole street, but everybody knows there's kind of an unwritten rule in our neighborhood that I, you know, you're not supposed to park your car in front of somebody else's home. I mean, if the person who lives there wants to park their car there, that's fine. But somebody else not doing it well or doing it when they don't live there, that's not a good thing. So he wrote a note. And the note says, hey, move your S blank, blank, blank box. And he put it on the windshield of the car. 
goes back to the stoop, sitting down, keeps on cleaning his shoes, and all of a sudden he sees a woman walking toward the car. And he looks and goes, okay, there's a woman walking toward the car. Oh, maybe she's the one who uh, parked the car there. Uh, good. Maybe she'll see. Wait a minute. No, I, I can't have this happen. He springs to his feet. He races over the car and tries to get the note before she can get there. And somebody happened to be there with video. Um, and this is where the story gets kind of interesting. You see, because the woman who was the owner of the car was a nun. That's right. Sister somebody uh, <laughs> was walking up the road. And she said, uh, wait a minute, uh, what, what, what's, oh, no, 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 I, 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 I didn't mean this. I, I honestly, I, well, I mean, I didn't realize it was you. I mean, it was she. And, uh, uh, well, I see this nun walking down the street, he said, and I ran to get the note off her car. And I said, oh, sister, I'm so sorry. I hope you have a blessed day. So now he's got the note and the video's up at thebottomlineshow.com. But this is where the story gets really interesting. You see, Darius Simpson is a professing Christian. This is a guy who came to faith in his mid-20s and had a kind of a relapse of his old BC days. I, well, he did make a, an observation when he was interviewed by the Globe afterwards or the Daily Mail. He said, look, we do have this rule and whatever, but he said, I kind of got, uh, got caught up in the, mo- the emotion of the moment because uh, I, I've had kind of a rough past I have a tendency to be a bit more aggressive in my encounters. I did spend four years in prison. And so when I saw it, something inside of me just snapped. So I said, wait, you can't park here. We've got an unwritten rule and I'm not allowed to park in the street. And so I put it on there. But then when I saw this nun walking up, I raced over and grabbed the note. And so he gets the note off the car. He says, I'm so sorry, sister. I hope you have a blessed day. And then she looks at him and asks him, um, May I ask you why you're pulling that note from the windshield of my car? Well, now he's <laughs> now he's busted. Now he's guilty. He's standing there literally holding the note that says, move your blankety-blank box car that he put on the car windshield of a nun. And now that he's there trying to run off with the note and she's there, looking at him, wondering why he's standing there holding a note that he took off the windshield of her car. Um, he said, well, um, I, I, I would show it to you, but it's really none of your concern. But then he felt the guilt getting the better of him. And so Darius Simpson showed the known nun the note. Now, it was very interesting because her reaction to it would determine just about everything. We do live in a day of moral outrage, don't we? And even Christians can fall victim. Here's a guy, Darius Simpson, who's a professing believer, and yet when he saw somebody parked their car in front of his house, he said, oh, no, 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 that's not what we do in this neighborhood. Not in my house. You're not going to get away with that nonsense. And he went out and not only wrote a note, but wrote a note that was pretty condemning of him as a person by using profanity. I don't like your car. I'm going to insult your car. You can't park here. And then here comes this nun. Now, I have to be honest with you. I didn't... I'm, <laughs> I think of nuns taking vows of poverty and chastity and things like that. I, I would imagine that in a society where you get around different motorized transportation, 
It's possible. It's conceivable. A nun had a car. It just, I never would have thought that a nun would, um, would be in a situation like this. But here's the deal. I mean, when Darius Simpson wrote the note and then it later admitted, he says, hey, look, I, I can be kind of explosive. And, you know, I, I've done time in prison and I, my temper's got the best of me. And I'm a very devout Christian now. But wow. But I think it's so cool because what she did, and you'll see this on the video that's up at thebottomlineshow.com, is the nun read the note and her response was not, I'm offended. Her response was not, I'm horrified. Her response was not, how dare you use profanity with regard to my car and what I've done with it by parking it here. You know what her response was? She laughed. She just chuckled. And she thought, oh, this poor boy. And it made me think about how God uses grace and mercy to show compassion to people who we don't deserve it, and yet he lavishes it on us anyway. I mean, Darius Simpson said, I'm watching, I'm cleaning up some shoes. I'm sitting on the front stoop. I see this car parked in front of my house. It's not my car. I put that note out there. And, you know, I, and he said afterwards that he said, I put it out there as a joke. But I, you know, in the moment, he meant every word of that. Get your uh, car out from under, uh, from in front of my house. But then here comes this nun and he goes, oh my gosh, the minute I saw this God-fearing woman walking toward the car, I started thinking about my own grandmother. Darius Simpson's grandmother was a minister. And, uh, you know, he had grown up in the faith and fallen away from it, got involved in criminal activity, wound up spending four years behind bars, got his life together, and now is living as a devout Christian. But he had one of those moments where he kind of slipped back into his old vindictive, reactive self for just a moment. And he said, it wasn't until I saw that nun that God kind of snapped me back to attention. And all of a sudden, I realized that this is someone who is worthy of respect. She's a woman of God. And the fact that she showed him grace and forgiveness and that they had a pretty good laugh about it is it's really wild. I mean, it's just it's it's beautiful to see. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, some final thoughts with regard to this incident involving a man with a criminal record who is now walking with the Lord literally having an encounter with another person who is also serving the Lord and realizing that when you get right down to it, it reminds us of a part of scripture that I think we'd be well to remember, especially during these strategic times. I want to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 
833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year. So give a gift right now. Welcome back to this special Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at the story of Darius Simpson, 29-year-old former convict uh, from Ohio, now a born-again Christian, who uh, wound up putting a rather inflammatory note on the car of what turned out to be a nun who had parked in front of his home, he thought illegally. And they had a laugh about it afterwards because he wrote a note that included some profanity and left it on her car window about moving her car. And when they got out there, she looked at the note and he looked at it and he said, I realized I, I felt kind of foolish. Reminds me of Matthew 18. There's so many great nuggets of God's truth with regard to sin and punishment and things in Matthew 18. But starting in verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay the master, ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. So the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But the first man refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then, verse 32, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. And shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus says in verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This has been the toughest part of my spiritual journey. I don't know how it is for you, but I've been through this recently even with someone that's a long-standing issue that God brought to light and said, hey, do you still have, are you harboring unforgiveness for this person you need to forgive? I remember uh, reading the story of uh, Gary Chapman, not the five love languages Gary Chapman, but the I used to be married to Amy Grant Gary Chapman. Gary and Amy were married, I think, in 1982, and they were kind of the it couple in Christian music during the 80s, but their marriage fell apart. Gary had a problem with substance abuse that he's been clean from since 1986, but it really drove a wedge in their marriage, and eventually they divorced. Gary's been married a couple times. I think he and his wife, Cassie, now are doing really great ministry. But he told a story about how when Amy, his ex-wife, Amy Grant, wound up marrying Vince Gill, and uh, Gary knew Vince, and he said, I didn't realize how much ill will I harbored toward him. He didn't do anything to me. And yet I had this resentment. And he said, at one point, I finally just pulled him aside one time. We were at a mutual gathering and just said, brother, I need to apologize. I've been harboring this unforgiveness toward you. And Vince said, hey, don't worry about it. And they kind of cried and laughed and prayed. And, you know, the, the, the friendship remains. But when I see this young guy, Darius Simpson, who wanted to do the right thing, you know, I'm being unjust, I'm being disrespected and whatever. And he went out in his righteous indignation and then wound up insulting a woman of God, a sister in Christ, 
used profanity in her direction, but then literally came to his senses, and she offered him grace. When we see the disunity in the body of Christ, when we see the number of people who are claiming the name of Christ and yet running off in different directions and attacking our brothers and sisters, we of all people should be setting the standard for what it means to be gracious and loving and kind and considerate, not just tolerant of any kind of sinful activity, but rather gracious enough to say, look, I'm not going to beat you up over this, but let's not forget I know what it's like to be forgiven of my sin and there isn't a day that goes by in my prayer life that God doesn't allow something else to kind of bubble to the surface that I can repent for and and apologize for and ask for forgiveness for and I'm so grateful for that. But shouldn't we be also instruments of grace and understanding and forgiveness with our brothers and sisters too, especially when they do something wrong against us? Do we have to exact our judgment right away? I mean, in the example in Matthew 18, you have two servants, one of them, had literally been forgiven of a debt of equal to 10,000 bags of gold and the other one, I mean, 100 silver coins. Proportionately, the first guy had been forgiven way more than the second and yet he wouldn't show grace and so therefore the king who had forgiven his debt now said, no, I'm re-implementing it with interest. Would that we not fall into that problem where we are so hung up on our rights not being met and our opinions not being validated and this, that, and the other thing. We're getting crucified by people who profess the name of Christ simply because we didn't vote the right way in the election or whatever it is. But help us to always be mindful, Lord, that you have forgiven us of an incalculable debt that we could never repay. And that forgiveness that you show us is the same level of forgiveness that we need to show our brothers and sisters. Doesn't necessarily mean we keep hanging around with them when they sin and try to bring us down, but we should show the same forgiveness that you showed us. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line.